confident about that. Uh, a little. I, you, you, I mean, you mentioned can't sit on a one-goal or two-goal lead. They blew it against BU, and that was a two-goal lead, maybe even a three-goal lead. Uh, nonetheless, three goals in the third period. They lose the game. Uh, they've been in a lot of shootout-style games. I mean, some of them have been wild comebacks, which I guess is good, but at the same time, if you can score that quickly, that means you gave them up that quickly. You know, that Wisconsin game, that 7-6 shootout win, you know, that that did not make me feel good because Wisconsin's as, as bad as a team as Michigan will face this year. And they they just had a, they could score immediately. Both teams could, but that's not the kind of game that Michigan should be in. They should be winning that game 8-3, 8-2. I will say Steve Racine looked better in my eyes than Nagelvort by, by a significant margin. I thought he had solidified that starting spot. Uh, then, of course, he, he injures his groin. I think he'll return for the GLI. Red's been saying week to week. Uh, and, and he's got two weeks plus. Right, to exactly. Get he's, got, he's got some time to just get healthy. So if he comes back and he's the Steve Racine that he was right before he got injured, I really do think this team will be all right. Uh, Wierenski's going to be gone for the GLI. Downing will be suspended for the GLI. So it'll be interesting to see what those box scores end up showing. Uh, but then once those two come back, I think that, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't make you feel that much better. And that's going to have to do it for this edition of the Daily Sports Report. On behalf of Adam Brodnax and Zach Shaw, I'm Leo Blavin. Wishing you a good night and a go blue. You are listening to your home for Michigan Athletics. 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Locate us on the web at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot. Save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six seconds remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. Good evening. It's about 6.30 p.m. Uh, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And I'm hearing rumors that uh, I-94 eastbound is in very bad shape. So avoid it if you are going to Detroit via that uh, route. Apparently it's completely closed near state. Huh. I'm sure there's a backup <laughs> probably well out to Dexter at this point. That may have, may have cleared up. This was as of an hour ago. It uh, bottles up there pretty bad sometimes if there's an accident. Normally bottled up regardless of an accident, but yeah. they said it's completely shut down. So, Wow. Avoid eastbound 94. 
uh, west of State Street and figure out an alternative route. Anyway, I don't think we need to spend too much time on Donald Trump. Ah, the old limerick is always good. Why there, not? There once was a candidate named Trump who was dumb as an oil derrick pump. While talking about Syria, he fanned again the flames of hysteria and ended up looking like a chump. I don't know whether this is going to work for Donald Trump. Uh, lamentable as it is, doesn't seem to be hurting him too much, even though Ted Cruz is taking a lead in Iowa, but I think that's more a function of the fading of Ben Carson. So we'll see what happens in the uh, debate tomorrow uh, regarding Trump's uh, notoriety at this point. Ted Cruz should savor this moment, too, because I really find it hard to believe that he'll do well in New Hampshire. Well, the thing is about Iowa, not many people actually vote. Exactly. And the winner of Iowa, particularly in the Republican um, side of the equation, has not been a good predictor of the eventual winner. Uh, South Carolina, however, is a different story. And how ironic that uh, Trump would make these comments in South Carolina. Uh, I don't think they uh, discussed much how many people this summer, by the way, died in South Carolina from the uh, rainfall of a lifetime was how they characterized it. They had 16 to 17 inches of rain. Wow. Uh, I think the death toll was in the 30s. So far more people died from heavy rain in South Carolina than even in this latest so-called act of terrorism. I don't know if you heard the show last week, but I kind of predicted that this whole focus on Syria was erroneous, that this was a fake clue, and that's beginning to look like the way this investigation... The San Bernardino shooters. Yeah, yeah. is going. So uh, gun guns will probably be discussed in the Republican debate, but... Let's talk about some good news. It's the holiday season. The uh, climate change summit that uh, recently happened in Paris, I think is an example, at least of some positive developments in this direction. Obviously, there are some insufficiencies, some inadequacies, etc., but I think that the one great thing about this uh, event was the fact that there was successful diplomacy for once. There was a clear consensus globally regarding the problem. The identification of the problem is not being denied by too many people. Outside of the Republican Party, of course. Yeah. More on that in a little bit. So um, there really is not as much argument about the science. By the way, do not be fooled by people calling in to radio talk shows, particularly on AM, about the increase in ice in Antarctica. Uh, it's not happening. It is happening in the center of the continent. But there is clearly coastal erosion occurring, and this increase in ice in the center of Antarctica is due to the melting that's actually occurring. On the edges. On the edges. Yeah. And um, 
one of the things that I think was very interesting about this climate summit in Paris was that I think there's a sense now of reality rather than idealism or punitive concepts. We're actually seeing some corporations in the United States, particularly in Silicon Valley, that can do some constructive things. That's good. And I also think that it was very interesting that even some smaller nations, particularly in the Pacific, where, look, folks, their, their islands are disappearing. These people are going to have to be evacuated probably within the next 50 years because the, 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 the oceans are rising slightly. And the United States has palpable evidence of this. city of Norfolk, Virginia, and Miami, Florida, are already suffering serious land erosion sinking into the sea, so to speak, and at high tide, they're getting seawater into their sewage systems. So this is happening. Well, and that's the other thing that, you know, makes this uh, recent summit good news is that there's no shortage of evidence. There's the thermal heat imprints, you know, read readable from space. There's uh, all the documented evidence of uh, ice calving off and breaking off from the poles. And um, Greenland. And Greenland. Uh, it's easily documentable. There's nothing fake or bogus or phony about it. Um, it's real. It's real. And they already announced uh, earlier this f fall, um, specifically on the 22nd of October, that uh, the headline is 2015 likely to be the hottest year on record Global temperatures are running above last year's record-setting level, all but guaranteeing that 2015 will be the hottest year in the historical record, and undermining political claims that global warming is somehow not happening. Um, and this uh, basically from our National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, the American agency that tracks worldwide temperatures, this article by Justin Gillis in the New York Times. Of course, the United States this year has already seen the effects of the El Nino. Uh, we're seeing it here in uh, Michigan uh, with uh, unbelievably warm temperatures over the last week. And November was the third warmest on record uh, here in the Ann Arbor area. It's positively balmy out uh, and, uh, this evening. Yeah, we're, we're seeing temperatures over the last couple of days, uh, 15 to 20 degrees above normal. And this is not just happening in Ann Arbor. No, this... last winter was the warmest winter on record in Alaska. I've got a friend who lives there, and we were in communication with about it often. It was colder here than there. Yeah. And that ain't right. <laughs> of course, that's part of the jet stream effect right. that you really have to pay attention to in the winter. The jet stream, by the way, is way, way north of uh, even southern Canada. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a been, skew. It's been warm for uh, several weeks now, and it will probably stay above normal for several more. So uh, this is happening. There's no more denial about the science. The CO2 is actually documented. I think what's going to be interesting is the, uh, and, and I think that there were 
palpable commitments to renewable energy. I wanted to briefly talk a bit about electric cars uh, because there is some misinformation about the fact that they're characterized as zero emissions. Well, they're only zero emissions if they're being charged with renewable energy. Mm. So if you run an electric car here in the state of Michigan or Ohio or Kentucky, places that still burn quite a bit of coal, um, you're not, your car is not zero emissions, theoretically. I mean, it's zero. Your recharging of the battery is generating waste yeah. from the uh, fuel supply. And the electricity and... That, that you're getting is being uh, created by burning coal. Right. Uh, so it's it's interesting, for instance, how the smog pictures from Beijing last week contributed to the sense uh, that China has about their commitments to this uh, new reality. Because I think that uh, the so-called BRICS, uh, which stood for back during the emerging markets economic boom of the mid-naughties, uh, of the 21st century, Brazil, Russia, India, and China are key to the global um, climate change um, action that needs to happen. There's widespread consensus in Western Europe, for instance, that this has been a problem for quite a few decades. And there is good news occasionally to report. Germany, for instance, made a national commitment well over a decade ago, to go to renewable, more renewable energy. And Germany is currently producing almost 25% of their electricity from solar and wind. And Germany... It's a highly industrialized country. Highly industrialized. It's not hurt their economy. Uh, in fact, the economic arguments are beginning to evaporate almost as fast as some of the ice. And in China, they're already seeing major problems with glacial retreat that's beginning to affect uh, millions of people with drinking water. So when the livelihood of a small nation like Vanuatu, I think is how it's called, the Marshall Islands, oh, yeah. uh, which are unfortunately known here in the United States, they're a quote-unquote U.S. territory, where the United States military uh, tested nuclear weapons back in the uh, late 40s and 50s, uh, including uh, the vanishing of the so-called Bikini Atoll mm -hmm. to see the impact of the hydrogen bomb. These places are the canary in the coal mine. Hmm. What an interesting comment. Well, yeah, they're basically mountaintops uh, in the middle of the ocean uh, that are getting increasingly smaller. And, of course, there's all sorts of other really bad evidence about the impact of, of the warming situation. We're seeing fish, for instance, disappearing from normal uh, spawning areas. Coral reefs, uh, when oceans uh, get too warm, uh, lose their regenerative powers and the vast quantities of life that they support, fish and plant life, 
uh, are no longer uh, able to stay there and they die out. And, of course, we've even heard some recent reports uh, in the last couple of days about the sea lions out in uh, California. Their uh, pups are coming onto the shore. The parents are going further and further out to find food. And, strangely, people are trying to chase the sea lions back into the water. Even the sea lions know it's warming. Yeah. But does Ted Cruz? I don't know. And, of course, uh, fossil fuel uh, will always be part of the mix uh, because of the problem of generating electricity and the battery situation, the efficiency of solar cells. You do need a certain amount of fossil fuel, and this is just reality, to deal with the problem of demand, inelastic demand. So, for instance, on a very, very warm day in the state of Texas, when the temperatures get up into the hundreds, that's Fahrenheit, by the way. And just a brief comment about that. (laughs) One of the big problems, I think, with some of the deniers is they don't hear the word Celsius. When they hear this 1 to 2 degree Celsius, it's not translating into Fahrenheit for them very well. And I think when the American media reports temperatures, I realize that scientists use Celsius. I realize that's part of the metric system, that that's the global system. But I really think that the media needs to report these temperatures in Fahrenheit. So the people, it's not a one-to-one ratio. It's not. And in fact, um, you know, five... Not even close, actually. Yeah, <laughs> five degrees Celsius is, is nine degrees... I mean, five, five degrees Celsius is nine degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So those numbers sound different. So when you hear one to two degrees, most people are going to kind of go, ah, oh, who cares about one to two degrees? Nothing's happening. But in reality, this is more like two to three and a half degrees. And that can make the difference, as we well know in Michigan, because of the freeze-thaw syndrome that Mm -hmm. we get in the winter, the difference between snow and rain. And, of course, the difference between snow and rain is makes all the world of difference. Uh, It makes all the world of difference, for instance, when El Nino is heading California and you have uh, the snowpack. Snowpack is stored water. Rain is just going to drain back into the into the water reservoirs and whatnot. And you're better off in the winter getting snowpack. It saves up the water. But when you hear about the Central Valley of California collapsing, subsidiance, the uh, fact that the water is being, they're digging further and further mm-hmm. down to get the water and the land is literally sinking on these farmlands, and that California accounts for 40% of many of the fresh fruits and vegetables that we consume here in the United States, and that farmers are going out of business or transferring their crop mix to make enough money to stay in business. I like almonds just like everybody else, but I can't live on almonds alone. (laughs) 
or even locally when the uh, climate shifts uh, too much too early. Uh, the entire cherry crop of the state of Michigan was destroyed a couple of years ago when mm-hmm. we had that uh, warm flare in winter. It was like February, and it was like almost 80 degrees. The blossoms the came blossoms out. The blossoms come out. I got a dogwood tree in my backyard that's putting out blossoms right now. Yeah. And then, of course, what happens is then you get some real winter weather, and I'm sure we'll get some. Um, but there there can be no disputing that winters are starting much several weeks later here in the United States. Uh, Just for the record, by the way, the British, who are avid gardeners and great diarists, have recorded over the the many centuries, and, you know, these diaries go back to the 1600s, when certain trees and blossoms came Mm -hmm. out in the spring. And in Great Britain, this type of movement has advanced two weeks so even though we don't have accurate temperature measures from 1640 or whatever we do have amateur scientists so to speak actual recorders of the climate change that's occurring um if somebody says it's march 18th and the tulips are out I know there's something wrong in Michigan because the tulips are supposed to come out in May. (laughs) Now, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but uh, those things, I think the anecdotal evidence should not just be cavalierly dismissed. No, and I think what certainly the Republican Party is going to have to come to terms with uh, is the theater of pretending that it's a hoax is no longer viable because more and more people are aware uh, there's more and more tangible, hard physical evidence as we're talking about here. Um, And yet in today's New York times, Thomas Kaplan has an article, Republicans largely ignore the deal. And uh, some of the comments here are shocking. They can't really believe some of the things they're saying here, but as Kaplan notes, uh, the, the two parties appear to be on different planets. Uh, Democrats, of course, don't get me wrong, are deeply flawed, but at least they're apparently aware of the crises at hand. Some of the things these Republican candidates are saying uh, are so willfully ignorant that voting for them would be a form of mental illness, I suspect. Uh, Marco Rubio says America is not a planet and that uh, he doesn't want to destroy our economy by placing restrictive regulations on companies. Well, (laughs) okay. Uh, Mike Huckabee uh, notes that a beheading is a far greater threat to an American than a sunburn. (laughs) We're not talking about sunburn. We're talking about the loss of crops. We're talking about uh, the... uh, retreat from coastlines sounds like applesauce to me it sure does <laughs> Scalia, of course in yeah. the news recently <laughs> uh chris christie who says he hasn't really uh read over the report yet he'll look at it in a few days he'll be in the debate tomorrow by he'll the be way. in the debate tomorrow and i'm sure they'll just dismiss this topic as you know whatever it's just a bunch of hoo-ha uh chris christie says he doesn't buy the fact that it's a crisis uh ted cruz for his part says that, uh, quote, 
climate change is the perfect pseudo-scientific theory for a big government politician who wants more power. Uh, he also thinks that Obama apparently thinks, quote, having an SUV in your driveway is more dangerous than a bunch of terrorists trying to blow up the world. And Donald Trump, that paragon of intellectual fervor, as well as falsehood, <laughs> uh, notes that in uh, he has described uh, climate change as a hoax, suggesting that it was invented by the Chinese to hurt American manufacturing. Weather changes and you have storms and you have rain and you have beautiful days, said Trump in September. But I do not believe that we should imperil the companies within our country. Well, if those companies you know, wish to continue to enjoy healthy profits uh, into the future, they'd better take stock of this situation, for it is indeed a crisis. <laughs> There's no denying it. And yet these guys all, to varying degrees, are like, ah, it's now, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. Sure. The American people are not that stupid, are they? Well, the thing that's amazing is half, I mean, even in public polls now, even half of Republicans believe that there is some climate change occurring. I think that the issue of whether it's a crisis or not is somewhat beside the point because it's the cumulative effect. Indeed. It's that things are getting worse and they may accelerate. It's very difficult. Well, that's what makes it a crisis. Yeah. In essence. And it's very difficult, by the way, for scientists to measure. Um, they can witness that, for instance, Greenland is losing ice and that this ice is ending up in the uh, waterways. But they cannot terribly accurately measure the rate of how much, how quickly, how right. fast. You know, what do uh, a couple of days in July that might be 10 degrees above normal how does that impact the melding? That's not a you know proven, reliable, rock-bedded science yet. Uh, it's very. Well, there's so many variables. Yeah, there's, there are a lot of variables, and it's important to realize. For instance, let's take a, a major industrial city, Tokyo. Uh, Tokyo. I once heard, uh, and this was a. <clears throat> an example of the evidence of climate change. Tokyo in the 19th century was largely made of wood. It was an ancient city, traditional Japanese city, but it was a major city. And the science, the quality of the Japanese scientists at that time back in the 1880s was comparable to the Germans, the British, the French, the Italians, the Americans. They had reliable thermometers. They have documented that Tokyo is 10 degrees per day warmer now than it was in 1880. Why? Tokyo has lots of concrete and steel. Lots and of cars. Urban heat. You know, this is why, for instance, on you can witness this here in southeast Michigan on a, on a given day in the summer, that Ann Arbor will be 5 to 7 degrees cooler than Detroit. Mm-hmm. If you go in, into downtown Detroit, uh, where it's concrete and steel and barbed wire, <laughs> you go up to Whitmore Lake and it's even a few degrees cooler than Ann Arbor. And of course, Less pavement. Ann Arbor has cars. lots of trees. It's a bit of a valley, so it is a little cooler here for other reasons. But there's also more trees, and reforestation, by the way, is another aspect of this climate summit 
uh, deal that I think is good. Um, I've long argued that America needs to reinstitute uh, FDR's uh, Civilian Conservation Corps program. It's an easy way to give jobs to those without jobs and to reforest the country. And, of course, you know, on the the bad news, good news side, Brazil, for instance, uh, there's been a rapid increase in deforestation in Brazil over the last several years because of the shaky economy and the sort of unregulated cutting of trees that are going on in these in these lands and these territories out near the Amazon. Well, Brazil, at least at the, this conference, made a commitment to do some more reforestation. Brazil and in Indonesia, by the way, are crucial mm-hmm. for uh, adding more forests. And let's remember that the United States, in the United States, we've cleared hundreds of millions of trees. Um, in our relatively short history as a nation. Uh, you know, part of that was to uh, develop uh, farmland and all that. But this is the equity debate. You know, when when the when it's reported that the average American consumes 30 times per capita what the average Indian does, and the Indians are saying, "Well, we can't go uh, haywire on global warming because we have to improve our standard of living here in India. We have 400 million people that don't even have electricity." Well, that is a bit of a quote unquote crisis, but. Crises are opportunities. Mm-hmm. Get the renewable energy going in India. Let's remember, by the way, Pakistan had a heat wave back in June, May uh, uh, period of this past year where it got up into the 120s. Thousands of people died. <laughs> this is, the, I mean, this Crops is scorched. This is happening. Yeah. Human beings cannot live in 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, it looks like we're just about out of time. That was the fastest half hour I think I've ever spent down here. Well, it's weird because the two clocks are on different uh, <clears throat> segues or channels or whatever. But thanks to Andrew for engineering. You are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling coming up and next. Good to see the National Front lose big in France. Indeed. Walter Rowland and Sonny Scott in the background doing the guitar stomp, telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Jerry Mack, your host this evening, for an hour-long excursion into the land of Delta Blues and early urban blues, performed and lived by the men and women who started it all. This particular tune, under the uh, pseudonym of the Jolly Two, is found on a Yazoo LP of the music of Walter Rowland and singer Bessie Jackson, recorded between 1927 and 1935. And not much in the liner notes here, except the the progression here is similar to a Blind Lemon Jefferson tune, Hot Dogs, and the one that William Moore uh, wrote called Ragtime Millionaire. And it's in the key of C. Other than that, It was done in 1933, previously unissued, 
And uh, we're going to let it roll and roll right into Monday Evening Blues for you here on WCBN. Hope you're enjoying it. A little wet, windy weather out there. 